proclaim and live the truth in Jesus' name. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Cheryl. We are in Acts 14 today. If you'd want to take a Bible and turn back there, passage Anne read, uh, Acts chapter 14. Following our series on prayer, I told you we would offer a resource to you, one a week for several weeks. The one for this week is in your worship folder today. Uh, 31 days of prayer for, for the church, for our church. It's 31 days, something different, different team that you can pray for, different ministry. Uh, take that out, format it as a bookmark. If, if this speaks to you, would you use that and pray uh, for, it really applies to our church, it applies to uh, all of our community churches. Pray for the church in these ways. That would be a blessing to our community. We are investing now two weeks here in reviewing our church's vision and mission. We started last week with the vision, which we defined, remember, as our destination. Uh, Vision is, we said, where we want to go. If the future was ours to write, how would we write it? That is vision. That's what we're defining as vision. And we said that our vision, because it is God's vision, is a redeemed world Uh, in, in short a redeemed world. It's a world that was foretold by Isaiah, which, which we looked at, and others in Scripture, other prophets, uh, that comes through the salvation and the kingship of Jesus, the Messiah. It's a world where creation is restored. It's returned to as it was in Eden, where the lion and the lamb and everything and everyone else live together in peace. That is where God is heading. That is God's ultimate future for our world. And we work with our Heavenly Father when that becomes our vision as well. So what, how we term that, there's a lot of different ways to say it, but the way we say it is a community that reflects Jesus' vision and values. That's the future that we want to see. That is our vision. The question now is, how do we get there? How do we get there? That is our mission. Uh, mission is the path to the future. Mission is the path to the vision. And uh, there's a lot of ways to put this as well. But to put it in a sentence, this is how we see it here. We as a church will faithfully offer to neighbors near and far the word of God, the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We as a church family will offer, faithfully offer to neighbors near and far the word of God, the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a long sentence, and we could take weeks to talk through it. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to hit the highest points here, okay, today. We, as a church family, will faithfully offer. We recognize that our neighbors are made in God's image. And therefore, they are intelligent, they are discerning, and though perhaps somewhat blinded to truth by our enemy, they are also being influenced by God's Spirit in our world. That is provenient grace. The Spirit is working to bring even the most lost person to himself. So, in offering them the truth that we have come to know and embrace about Jesus, we do not insist, we do not badger, We do not bully, we do not demand, threaten, or intimidate. 
some people do in the name of Christ. We do not do that. We simply do all we can to offer through our testimony and through our witness, both lived and spoken, just like the song said. We do, as the Apostle Peter says, we give them the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. And we do this faithfully. And that has a twofold meaning. We do it consistently. First of all, we don't give up. Even when it seems that we're making no headway, even if it seems that they are increasingly resistant, we do not give up. So we do it faithfully, but we also do it in a manner that trusts God to speak through us, even in our own weakness. Since we believe in him, we are strongest when we are weak. The scripture says that, 2 Corinthians 2.10. So, we will faithfully offer to neighbors near and far. That speaks to our scope. We offer testimony and truth to neighbors near, those with whom we work and attend school, those who live nearby, those we see at the stores and on our street, and we offer to neighbors far, those in other cities, in other states, of other peoples and of other nations. We recognize the church to be this global community with a global responsibility. So we engage personally where we can go and we engage with our prayers and with our finances where we can't go ourselves. So we see as true John Wesley's claim that the world is our parish and we bear spiritual responsibility on a large scale. Our world is not just about us and not just about our family. Our world and our responsibility is much, much larger than that. So in order to achieve a community that reflects Jesus' vision and values, we will faithfully offer to neighbors near and far what? What will we offer them? At least these four things. First, the word of God. That is first. Because that is where it all begins. All of our wisdom, to one degree or another, rises up out of this book, which we affirm to be the infallible message of God, graciously given to his creation. This is a word that saves, redeems, restores, and transforms. And it needs to be carefully but urgently presented. Why? Because it contains the medicine for what ails our world today. And even though the world may not respect it, recognize it, value it, or even particularly want it, we offer it to them lovingly and winsomely and patiently and creatively even for the sake of their own healing. You see, there's lots of sources of small t truth in our world, but only the church can offer the capital T truth. And our mission is to do that. We have the cure for both present sinfulness and for eternal torment. And we would be absolutely evil if we selfishly withheld it from others while keeping it and enjoying it for ourselves. Nothing less than evil. That's why we faithfully offer neighbors near and far the word of God first and then the love of the father. 
That gets us into the sort of the unique roles of the Trinity, the Godhead. You see, we let our neighbors know the fact that they are loved by God. They are loved by the God who made them. They are loved by the God who made them and who very much wants to relate with them. We offer them God's love by loving them ourselves, you see, unconditionally. Unconditionally. Now, that does not mean we always agree with them. But we choose to love them. Letting God's love work through us. Like the Apostle John said, we love first. Or we love because he first loved us. That's how we can love. We faithfully offer neighbors near and far the word of God, the love of the Father, and the grace of Jesus, the Son. We offer to all around us the message of the same unmerited favor that we know and that we have experienced ourselves through the sacrifice of Jesus, God's Son. Any true church of Jesus Christ should be a place known for mercy, forgiveness, patience, and everything else associated with Jesus' grace and the grace that comes through the Holy Spirit. Now, this does not mean that we are a people who ignore truth and, or, or that we give in to society's every whim or, or to political correctness or to just meaningless sentiment. We do not agree with ungodly precepts just to keep in others or in society's good graces. Absolutely not. It does mean, though, that we understand that those who don't know Jesus could not possibly have the same convictions as those who do. So we are gracious in our recognition that they are on a journey toward Christ. We live and we treat others recalling with clarity the grace that Jesus showed to us when we ourselves were utterly lost in sin. We remember those Christians. We remember those followers of Jesus who were gracious with us before we knew Jesus. Those ones who led us to Jesus, who showed us Jesus before we came to know him ourselves. And we strive to be those people for others who don't yet know him. So toward achieving the vision of a redeemed world, we work this mission of faithfully offering neighbors near and far the word of God, the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus, we have both the blessing and the responsibility of sharing with our neighbors this tremendous truth that through his Spirit, God is at work in our world today, bringing to those who will embrace him healing, transformation, restoration, and deep peace, joy, and rest. Our message is that God offers today opportunity for change, real change, right now. We are not hopelessly locked into whatever mess in which we may find ourselves. God's spirit is powerful and he is here and he wants to work in us and he wants to work in our circumstances for good. That is our message about the Holy Spirit to our world. And this is our path to a community that reflects Jesus' vision 
and values. All of us, both individually and together as a church family, faithfully offering neighbors near and far the word of God, the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. Now, this is nothing uh, new. None of it is new. Uh, This is essentially what Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission. This is also what we see happening all through the New Testament, all through the book of Acts, especially followers of Jesus faithfully, skillfully, truthfully, lovingly showing and telling those around them, both near and far, the truth of who God is, what he's done through Jesus, and what he continues to do in the world through his spirit. And this passage that Anne read in Acts 14 is just one small example of it. Paul and Barnabas going wherever the spirit led them, offering Christ, offering truth, helping people on to ever deeper experiences with God, and then committing them to him. Verse 23 there says, in whom they had put their trust. Trusting that God would follow up and do an ongoing work in their lives. They recognized, Paul and Barnabas did, it was not their responsibility to save the world. That's Jesus' part. Jesus already died to do that. Their part, though, and ours, yours and mine, is to faithfully show and tell, live and speak the truth of God, and let the Lord then do what he'll do. Because whether we like it or not, God's plan to redeem this world includes using us to introduce others to him. So that persons and families and neighborhoods and towns and even nations might experience the salvation of Jesus and the transformation of his spirit. That's how you get to a world that reflects Jesus. That's God's plan to do it. Now, I'd like you to notice just one other detail in this passage. There in verse 22 where Paul and Barnabas say, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You know why they said that? For one reason, because Jesus said it. Uh, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have troubles. Jesus told his disciples that. Paul and Barnabas also say it because they lived it. (laughs) They knew it. Like Jesus lived it and like Jesus knew it. And they said it because, you see, some are tempted to think that just because the mission is God's and just because the mission is good, then the mission will be easy. And nothing could be further from the truth. You know why? Because there is tremendous resistance to God in our world. Thanks to Satan, our enemy, whose temptation caused the need for redemption in the first place. This world strongly resists God. The nations rage and conspire. The people's plot rebellion. Earth's leaders band together and rise up against the Lord and his people. That's right out of Psalm chapter 2. The psalmist realized that, recognized that. You see, the world and all that's in it belongs to the Lord. This world 
and all that's in it, including all people. We all belong to the Lord. But those who don't know him think it belongs to them. God has his vision for the future. But the unsaved of the world have their own vision for the future. And they will fight viciously to preserve their own control and their own kingdoms for the sake of their own vision. The fact is, it is nothing less than a war. It is a spiritual war being fought in our world's present reality. Now, just like most wars, the war's end goal is peace. Nobody wants to be at war forever. You want to be at peace. But most missions necessary to achieve peace are neither easy nor peaceful themselves. So we can't engage this mission thinking it's going to be easy. We have to understand it's going to be hard. And working it out will bring both success and suffering. That is just the fact of it. In this process of working our mission, some people will be very grateful because they'll receive Jesus and they will gain freedom. And at the same time, working out our mission will make other people very, very mad. Because we are implicitly telling them that their way is not correct. That it's not God's way. So there will be anger and there will be violence and rage and resistance and rebellion. Just like the psalmist said, you see. Have you noticed that already? If you are at all engaged in the mission of God, you have noticed this. But that cannot stop us from working out the mission. Because, you see, we follow Jesus, who was treated abominably, but still completed his mission. And we follow the apostles, who were treated nearly as badly as Jesus was treated, and yet they still completed their mission. For much of America's history, anyway, we've been the exception, or at least something of the exception. But look at how terribly Christians through the ages have been treated in in most times and in most places. And yet they work their mission anyway. And so must we today. To be a Christ follower, to be a part of Christ's body is to be someone on mission because he's the head of the body. And this is what he wants To be connected to him at all means we do what he says and we do what he does. That's why both God's vision and God's mission he has passed on to us. The future is a redeemed world. It's a community that reflects Jesus' vision and values. How we get there, we faithfully offer neighbors near and far the word of God, the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, The power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we offer them. We can't make it up as we go. We can't control what we offer them. We can't control how they respond to what we offer them. About the only thing we can control is our engagement in the mission.
And God wants to know today who's on mission with him. There's, there's really very little middle ground. <laughs> you know, we either are or we aren't. Uh, we're either walking and working with him toward the vision, toward the future, or, or we're walking a different direction than him. We're pulling away from him. So I urge you, even as we come around the table here in just a couple of minutes, I urge you to consider your life and make today the day to decide. Jesus is king. He's returning someday to complete the vision. So until then, he's given all who follow him this to do. Paul and Barnabas did it. Peter did it. John did it. Christ followers through the ages have done it. Some of them were lauded. Some were not. Most were not. Either way, the mission falls to us today. So will you engage? Will you work? Will you give yourself to the mission so the vision can become reality? We want to be a church that says yes to the mission so the vision might be fulfilled. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to us, even as we gather around this table of grace. Would you show us where we fall regarding engagement in your mission? You have plans, you have things for us to do. Lord, help us to say yes to you at every turn. Help us to be fully engaged in offering neighbors near and far the word that you've graciously given us and the love expressed by the Father and the grace of Jesus who died for us and the power of the Spirit to transform and to change. Help us in your mission to offer the complete gospel for the sake of a transformed world. Show us our part in that, specifically, individually. We pray in your name. Amen.